Welcome aboard the Ark. You're listening to The 100 Podcast, a show about CW sci-fi series, The 100. I'm Dan, your mountain man, and today I'm joined by my favorite grounder, Olga. Hey guys, today we'll be discussing your feedback from episodes 10 and 11. Yeah, we got a lot of it. I'm super excited to talk about this stuff. We Actually, we even have a voicemail we'll do probably at the end. Um, but we're super excited about that. So we got a ton of mail, as we talked about in our like our general 311 um, podcast. Mm-hmm. We got so much that we felt like we we wanted to do this for you guys. We're not going to necessarily be able to do this every week because we just have too much going on right now. Yeah, that was <laughs> uh, we did our recap podcast ran a bit over an hour and a half. Yeah, and this one may very well likely also run close to an hour and a half. We're not sure, but um, as someone who's still in school and we both have a lot going on, it's hard to do three-hour podcasts (laughs) every week. But, uh, you know, so I'm not sure, we're not sure if we'll get this amount of feedback every week. Obviously, 310 especially had some very controversial topics, which I think is what spurred a lot of people to want to email. Yeah. But, so we'll see. We'll figure out what we're going to do in the future. All right, but for now, would you like to start off with the email from Arthur? Yes. So Arthur says, I really enjoyed your podcast. I found the Bellamy discussion very interesting and wanted to give my point of view to that issue. Well, I could hold you for one second and say this is one of the ones that was sent before 311. Okay. Yes. Yes. This is regarding 310. Yeah. All right. So Arthur continues, you see Bellamy in my eyes is irredeemable with the narrative and moral ground the show is set up. Moral relativism got a big focus on the show. You do bad things for good reasons for the greater good. People can't be selfish and emotional. Killing without rational reasons like ensuring your survival or tactical planning is wrong. That's why Finn was killed, and it was made pretty clear death is the only end for that kind of thing. Bellamy's decision to participate in the massacre was based on paranoia and xenophobia, neither logical thinking as much as he wants to claim it. Did he believe killing 300 people wouldn't grant a response from 20,000 grounders who are totally overnumbered? Totally outnumber them, I think is what they're aiming for. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Sorry. What about Clark being in Polis at that time? He said he didn't trust her being safe there. So after the massacre, there was a danger for her being killed for retaliation as the Sky Crew representative. He was hurt Clark abandoned him and found a projection for his frustrations in Pike. All the blah blah about his losses don't count. Everyone has lost so much on this show, and now the alpha male got a blank card to act out so the writers can offer the seasonal man-pain arc for teen girls to enjoy. Let's stop there for a second. Yes. Um, Where do we begin? So, I mean... The whole thing about what about her being the Skycrew representative, he all I mean, he already doesn't think that she was safe there. Yeah. So that yeah. that's that there's that. But it was her choice to stay and he tried yeah. to stop her, but she wanted to go back. So. I mean, they didn't they did think there were merit a response from twenty thousand grounders. They just already assumed that they were already in trouble anyway, and they might as well get a preemptive strike on these people that they can have a preemptive strike on. Again, mm-hmm. illogical, but this is what they believed and and he believed in Pike and Pike's ability with the assault rifles to stave off those 20,000 long enough to survive. To survive, to to just live in peace. To outlast them. To outlast them, exactly. Call it a misconception or like a wrong belief on their behalf. I know, I agree that that was a false argument they were making, but it's what they believed at the time. So, you know... 
I do want to talk about in that first paragraph, you talked about moral relativism, and it's interesting now, having seen 311, yes. because the whole thing about, you know, are there, they're, they are applying this moral relativism, are there no more good guys, to Bellamy. Yes. But they, he is right that that the Finn, the killing Finn seems to give another message as far as, yes, there is some moral relativism, but if you're just going emotionally, if you're not doing it for the right reasons, then that's not okay. Mm-hmm. But now they seem to be putting Bellamy in the okay zone to some degree. Yes, which uh, I can see why a lot of people are not okay with that. But in his mind, like we've discussed this before, in his mind, he did have a solid yeah. reasoning for it. He believed it was right. Yeah. And it's it's hard because by our by our standards, mm-hmm. he committed a war crime. Yeah. S- sort of. Sort of. I mean, you yeah. could make the argument that it was a preemptive strike and that they they had that the other army had proven and it was still an army versus an army. That's true. You know, it, it, it's it's complicated. It is. Uh, I mean, it probably it probably is the fact that they keep that everybody's using the word massacre means that you probably should see it as a war crime mm-hmm. because you wouldn't call it, you could be calling it a preemptive strike otherwise. But the Nobody's problem is that. that this is by our current day standards. Yeah, and it's really hard to we we do have to remember that this does take place in a different context. Yeah. And there's difficulty there, because then the argument could be made, well, lots of other things are in a different context, and maybe we shouldn't read them as as seriously as we read them now. No. But... You mean, meaning, like, the rape and the suicidal stuff, that's what you're Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's like, well, if we can read the fact that the sexuality in this world isn't labeled anymore, then us putting the label on it is even... Like, Clark's sexuality, yeah. like, the fact that they don't actually go out and say that she's bi, yeah. even though by today's standards, she is bi. Yeah. Like, that kind of thing. Yeah, I, so, and we will get back into his email in a second. I just want to throw out that, so there are a lot of people who do these bad things that don't get punished in the real world, that mm-hmm. get away with it. And so, but, I mean, no, most people would not argue those people are good people, but... I would all I would argue that a lot of them aren't strictly evil, you know, quote unquote evil. Mm-hmm. That they probably are humans, and that they've made mistakes, and that they regret them, or, or you know, who knows why they did the things they did. And so, like in some ways, I'm like this. I don't feel like this is a show that's all about teaching lessons or whatever. So, like, does just because he did a bad thing, does he need to be punished, or can we walk? what that character is that certain that doesn't get punished right uh, it's i can if it's okay for me to bring up a different show entirely yeah. and i suppose it's a minor spoiler mm. um so on fear the walking dead a show that i proudly say i hate watch at this <laughs> point yeah um and even before i knew of the hundred i, I was hate watching mm-hmm. because alicia debnam carries on it she's still it, yeah all that shit yeah. anyway so there's a character on there who as an audience member, you kind of root for because he's like, he just wants to take care of his family and that kind of thing. Mm. And then you find out that decades earlier, he was uh, basically one of the bad guys in a South American country, like working for the government. He tortured people. He worked for a government that was trying to suppress revolution and free thought. All of this. 
And he left, he, he escaped this country like many of the people who were arguably his victims and victims of people like him. Mm. So you would read him as a bad guy based on the fact that he was on the side of, like, an oppressive regime. Yeah. But at the end of the day, he was still a guy who was like, well, I did this for my family. I did this to survive. Mm. And then he uses his techniques of torture and to, everything yeah. to, in his mind, yeah. continue the survival of his family now that, yeah. like, the zombie apocalypse has started. Yeah. And he makes mistakes, but yeah. that turns into the thing of, like, well, if it's your family, wouldn't you want... Yeah. Even if you were felt torn in different directions or knew that objectively what you were doing was wrong to people, mm. if you believed that it, it would help you and your survival... Yeah. As it worked in the past, could that, like make it would you do it again yeah. and i think that these aren't questions that are easily answered it's yeah. very hard to as a viewer who's not going through anything you could say no never i would stand by and maybe that's true maybe you in the moment you would decide no that's yeah like you wouldn't go that far but you don't know until you're there mm. so it's like you don't know what you would believe is the right choice until you're put in this position yeah like bellamy like those characters yeah it's hard for me because you know, we do talk a lot about that we feel like what is shown on screen is important to the real world and the way they represent women, the way they represent race, all these things. Like, I, I study representation a lot in film. And so I do believe the way things are represented in a in a show matter to the real world and they do lead to real world things. It's So maybe I am being almost hypocritical to say that the way that they represent whether these attacks are okay or not. Mm -hmm. that that I'm that I'm taking that more in the world of the show as opposed to what it says about the real world but it's I think it's to me it's partially it's just that the rape and sexuality and race issues are relatable things that the average person is dealing with this just feels so heightened and I've, I've said it before that things are so crazy and the things that he's gone through are so I can't relate to or put myself in that headspace yeah. that I, I just don't feel like I can judge it in the same way. Yeah. Like, I don't think it, you know, if I met someone who had really done those things in real life, I probably gut reaction would be to judge them. But I don't yeah. really have the right to do that, I feel. Yeah, know? and that's basically what I'm yeah. trying to say of, like, the best I can do is compare it to other shows that yeah. maybe have attacked a similar character issue in yeah. a different more emotional way so yeah. or not more emotional but like from a different yeah. aspect because that's the closest i can get to having this. another perspective yeah. or co comparing perspectives on this why don't we keep reading and we'll, we will talk about the man pain and the and all that stuff but i think he continues to talk about that so okay yeah. all right so uh Arthur continues well either way we'll address yeah. it i think that bellamy's weird turn to camp nazi was jason rothenberg's understanding of a complex character as much as he thought a rape scene should be sexy and lex a straight bullet a stray bullet tragic while bellamy's storyline is not ooc out of character ah okay <laughs> is not out of character i don't think any of the writers were understanding the severity of his character's direction this season if the character goes dark, then it means a fundamental part of his personality changes drastically forever. You can't use something like a massacre for the sake of the seasonal man pain arc and then write him back to being the good guy again. When you decide to lead your character there, you can't half-ass it and you must go all in. Should I keep reading? Or? Well, why don't we stop for a second, I guess. I mean, first of all, I don't think that they haven't... 
I, I don't think yet that they haven't gone, not gone all in. I was about to say, yeah. I think it, to me it feels like he's gone all in. Yeah, it doesn't feel like they're just making him the good guy again. Like, yes, he's getting lighter, lighter than he was. At his, at his, he's, he's on the upward trend. Right. But he's not like, what he, I don't think, I, I think they're, at least for this season, I can't say for the future, of but for at least for this season, I feel like he's never he's not going to just be a happy-go-lucky good guy anymore. There, There is always, I feel like there's going to be ramifications with Octavia. There's going to be ramifications for what he thinks of himself and how everybody sees him. We already and, know. He questions with, I mean, again, this was written before yeah. 311, yeah. but uh, before Nevermore. Yeah. Yeah. But in Nevermore, he even says, like, I don't, am I the good, you yeah. know, I don't think I'm the good guy. Yeah. What, what was you, the what, what something like what do you do when you don't when you realize you might not be the good guy? Exactly. Yeah. So he's going through this. He's not yeah. he it took time, but like yeah. he has a certain self-awareness. He has self-doubt. He's questioning it. I I personally don't think and just because he's like now making decisions to in his mind help Octavia. Yeah. And he has regret about how he's hurt Octavia first and foremost. This is consistent with his character, Mm -hmm. first of all. This is the Bellamy that we've known since season one. So I I feel like they have gone all in. You can call him an antagonist for the most part. And then someone with self-doubt. Yeah. He is still being... I guess you could say that they're not going all in because he still is generally being accepted by our group of quote unquote good guys. Mm-hmm. You know, even though they you know they don't they're not happy with him, they're not chaining him up, they're not killing him. You know, they're letting him help. Right. And so I think in that degree, you know, I can see where people are coming from. Of like it's too but, close to forgiveness and yeah, acceptance. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, just. Um, Addressing the calling it Camp Nazi and how it's an understanding of complexity. Again, I think that's more of a pacing issue than it is a character consistency issue. And we kind of talked about that. I think that there have been issues for sure. And like, you know, the stray bullet thing we've talked a lot about and all that stuff. But I think that sort of acting as though Jason Rothenberg doesn't know what a complex character is, how are you watching the same show that I'm watching? I just, I don't know. You yeah. Know, like, it's... Not every character has been dealt with correctly. We talked a lot Correct. about, Mon- about Monty and yeah. all that stuff, but, like, they know how to write complex characters, and yeah. they don't always succeed, but... And it's another thing of, like, potentially, I mean, each episode... Not each episode is written by a different writer, but... Mm writers do have a certain flair of their own of how much yeah. they want to emphasize which character. And and even here, Arthur does say, Bellamy is not out of character, acting out of character here, yeah. but it was a severity issue. Yeah. And I, I agree. I, I feel like I they went, agree with went a little, they went too far. They went too far, yeah. but, you know, at the end of the day, we kind of do have to deal with it. And mm. I feel like the way they're dealing with it, now that time has passed and yeah. I've kind of grown to accept it, it's not as bad as my gut reaction yeah. was. Yeah. Yeah. This is a massacre of 300 people and not the seasonal CW love triangle breakup after which the male lead goes dark by sleeping around or drowning in alcohol. What he did was a breaking point for his character and every viewer with a non-hormonal outlook on the story knows he is irredeemable. Okay. First of all, I really don't appreciate that yeah. um, wording, Arthur. I'm sorry. But saying a non-hormonal that definitely is veering towards a... I I don't know if you intended it, but a lot of... As a woman, a lot of my arguments are 
undermined by people asking, like, oh, are you hormonal right now? Are you PMSing? I get the end, especially considering that a very vocal part of this fan base is female. So, you know, future future reference for everybody, probably we're not going to be reading or addressing things that say things like this as seriously. Yeah. We're not going to take them seriously. We might not even read them. So please edit yourselves a bit. I mean, because I also personally take some issues with this because I all I mean I I don't you're acting as though everyone who doesn't agree with you is an, a moronic little uh, stereotypical little girl mm-hmm. who just wants to sleep with Bellamy and it's like I I don't think you don't think that way and I don't think that way and I don't think that for a television show Bellamy is irredeemable mm-hmm. in real life I I honestly the dif- there is a difference between what is accepted on television and what's accepted in real life. And for a TV show, he there there have been characters who have done worse and been redeemed. And, and even, I, I still, the thing that I can't get over is how many of these people who are like, he's totally irredeemable, are fans of Murphy. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, <laughs> he straight up just murdered people because he wanted to. Like, 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 they upset him yeah. at one point, and that was <laughs> yeah. it. They did nothing to else to harm. Yeah. They could have been alive and good for the group, but he killed them. No. Anyway, I'm going to finish <laughs> yeah. this uh, paragraph. Yeah. All right. For me, a redemption arc just shows the wishy-washy writing for his character. On the one hand, they wanted to write him dark to show how mature their show is. On the other hand, they do not wish to alienate the fangirls, thirsting for a bad boy male lead, being all sad and misguided. It's just disrespectful for for the overall setup of the show to make Bellamy the lost misguided male while painting Finn a mass murderer. And notice how the massacre is shown off screen, but the brutal beat up of Bellamy zooming, zooming in his bloody face and sad eyes is on screen. Bellamy is not sorry for his actions, but gets to be forgiven because the fangirl instinct wants to hug him. A classical non-redemption redemption. It's simply inconsequent, but not surprising looking at how the writers handled mature themes like character deaths, rape, and violence. I mean, here's the thing. I, I am very torn about... He said the thing about Finn. I want to just quickly throw on that. I'm, <clears throat> I'm very torn about that because I, I can I can admit I didn't like Finn, and so I was happy that the way that Finn ended up. <laughs> like, and, you know, and I do like Bellamy and I don't want the same thing to happen to him. And, you know, that's because I think Bellamy's a more interesting character, and I like the performance of that actor. And to me, there is still a difference in that I felt like Finn literally just turned on a dime based on nothing of substance. Bellamy yeah. legitimately has gone through things that I feel pretty confident in saying nobody who listens to our podcast or watches the show has gone through. Unless you've helped commit a genocide and killed children and lost hundreds of your people or whatever. Like, and been the like, responsible for or been responsible for people hundreds of people sacrificing their lives because of a decision you made out of selfishness. Yeah, it, <laughs> it, it, it's I just he's not a related that character. isn't like Finn ha- doesn't have that. All no. Finn has is that he's worried and freaked out that maybe Clark is dead, which which honestly was just like a motivation that was infuriating to me because I was like because I just hated their... It was all built on that stupid triangle relationship where he loved Clark for no reason, like, two weeks after leaving Raven. And it was just like... Well, the, the <laughs> issue, kind of... As someone who definitely did not hate Finn as much as you yeah. did, <laughs> I'll temper yeah. a little bit here, of my opinion, which I feel is, is similar to yours in that 
it felt like Finn had, like, a psychotic break. Yeah. And did not, I'm not saying he didn't understand what he was doing, mm. but um, just kind of, like, lost it and yeah. and out of pure, kind pure selfish reasons, mm. I would say, even. Yeah. Maybe bordering on a similar reason of, like, he didn't trust grounders, so he yeah. didn't believe what they said. You could compare, make the, like, I guess also xenophobic yeah. argument about that. Like, they're dirty grounders, you yeah. can't believe them. Like, but it was a different motivation. Yeah. And it was coming differently. And it was that was pure emotion. Bellamy was torn. He made a conscious decision. Yeah, the thing about Bellamy, that's the thing that's very difficult with this, is that... Yes, it was a conscious decision, but I still think that when he made that decision, he his he connect his connection with reality. Like I do think that he snapped yeah. his connection with reality. If you if you objectively look at what happened, it's nonsensical. Like from the Bell, what Bellamy did, it doesn't oh, yeah. make any sense. But he, but he, when something's completely nonsensical and he totally believes it, that is a break from reality. Yeah. And, and but the thing is that that was reeling. He's reeling off of major things that actually happened. Numerous major things. Finn isn't. Yeah. Finn is jumping to re- weird conclusions. Re- really bad conclusions. And completely flip-flopping from who he was before. Yeah. And like, he was so self-righteous before, and then he does the complete opposite. If anything, so, like, there was inconsistent writing with Finn, yeah. not yeah. with Bellamy. Yeah. Again. But, alright, I'd really yeah. like to address the idea of him as the bad boy, yeah. of Bellamy as the bad boy that, like, is there for the fangirls yeah. and things like that. And kind of now going back to the concept of man pain, which we addressed yeah. a bit in the previous three eleven in, the, in our podcast. recap podcast yeah. of how we don't like that, and how <laughs> that's not a phrase that I feel comfortable with. Yeah, I, I definitely can see the trope of like brooding man is brooding in yeah. the corner well, by like, himself. Or... I I get it in the context of like Oliver Queen on Arrow, who's just like upset to be upset because he's a man and he's upset. Like, I get where people are saying that. Like, manly man yeah. doesn't share his emotions. He just yeah. pents them up and but, looks sexy doing it. But when you're then using... So, like, if you use it, like, that way in, like, a, almost like a joking way of what the trope is, then I don't really have a huge issue with it personally. Yeah. But when you're using it no, any time that a man feels pain, <laughs> even if people have died and he's grieving... Even if he acts out, yeah, I mean, or and, and doesn't think, act out. I mean, think about like if Clark was a guy, you could totally say Clark's entire arc this season was man pain. Yeah, you know, and so that's ridiculous. She's just feeling pain because she helped commit a genocide and she had no choice. And then like, the <laughs> love, like her love, dies is murdered. So no. you called her in the previous in our recap episode a raw nerve. Yeah. And the more I think about that, the more I agree with you of describing her that way. Yeah. I would arguably describe Bellamy as a raw nerve too. Yeah, totally. 100%. So like if I I'm you know, if we're calling if we're saying calling her that is comfortable, I'm comfortable calling Bellamy that and yeah. like you know, they it's, it's it's just very reductive, I, yeah. I feel, just calling it man pain. Yeah. Yeah, if they're just brooding for the sake of brooding or sake of, like, soap opera drama or whatever, then I get it more. Mm-hmm. But when it's just, oh, a guy is feeling upset about something, let's make fun of it. I, I just don't, I don't get it. No, you know? no, no. And it's not like, oh, 
he was dumped by Gina and Clark abandoned yeah. him and there's greater things going on, but he's off on the corner yeah. wanting to kill Grounders because Lexa stole his Clark away or yeah. something like that. <laughs> yeah. Then, yeah, I could see the joke of calling that like, oh, it's man pain. Yeah. But this isn't, this isn't a show like many others. Like, yeah. I don't know if, like on Game of Thrones, I don't know if I'd call what certain like what Jon Snow goes through man pain <laughs> I, that's an interesting question what 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 has he really gone through I guess he's gone through he knows that losing people died. his entire family yeah. losing his people <laughs> yeah. losing the love of his life yeah yeah exactly yeah exactly like, it's a, it's because it's on the CW and because it, there's such a, a idea of shipping culture connected with this yeah and you know I don't there's a part of me it's like I don't know that 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 this part that Arthur is totally wrong in that there probably was a contingent of a piece of why they wrote this was to make it a more conflicted, you know, romance potentially, Potentially, you know, I, I could be in there, but I just don't feel like that's like we, he's barely been on screen with Clark. Yeah. And so like, I don't think that's the big yeah. takeaway of this season. Yeah. I don't want to like, Yes, there are people that ship Bellark. Yeah. I'm personally not one of you. Yeah. But at least not at this point. You used I guess. to be. More. I used to be like yeah. back in the hype binge watch. Yeah. Rewatch day or watch yeah. for me the first time days. But like yeah. now, so much has happened where I don't feel comfortable just like reducing their relationship to each other or what I want from yeah. their relationship to be a couple. Yeah. I don't know if I'd be okay with that happening. I don't know yet. Like. That's so far off yeah, in my I, I mind mean, that I don't really care. Yeah, I mean, like, I would... I, I can see the appeal of that happening at some point. I definitely don't want it now. Yeah. That, that's that's where I'm yeah. at. Because, I, I mean, they do have chemistry, and that's fun, and they're cool characters, and yeah. I get why people want that, but... Yeah, I can, I can understand is what I was trying yeah. to say. But that said, I don't really think that's, like, the mission statement of the show to, like... Yeah. Re- I don't feel like the story that they're trying to say, trying to tell is let's redeem Bellamy to the point where it's okay that he's with Clark again. Like that might be a thing that like a side thing that they might be going for. I don't know, but I'm, I don't believe that that's their like main focus for Bellamy. All right, we're gonna move on. Yeah, all right. <laughs> we spent what twenty something minutes like on the said, first email. Like we said, this might be longer yeah. than an hour and a half. I have no idea how long the rest of these emails are. So this next one's from Diana. Hi, Olga and Dan. First things first. Great job, you guys are doing with the podcast. While I don't always agree with you, I appreciate the sensitivity and open-mindedness with which you've handled the troubling developments of the current season. The tone of your conversation has evolved with the tone of the show's fandom in general, from overwhelmingly supportive to something more critical, without losing enthusiasm or willingness to engage with material. Kudos. Thank you so much. That's very kind. I appreciate that. That's what we strive for, I I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on to that rape scene in 310. Yes, it was definitely rape, as we would understand it today. And I agree with you guys that the show should not have made it so ambiguous. In fact, I'd go further and say that it's ethically irresponsible for the writers, directors, actors, etc. to portray it that way, portray it the way that they did. If a good portion of the viewers found it sexy and titillating, that's not an accident or a fault of the viewers. It's because someone on the creative side intended it that way, shot it that way, acted it that way, and it's ethically irresponsible. Mm -hmm. I watched Fallen... Only a week after I caught up with WGN's fabulous new show about the slave resistance in the American South, 
Underground. Oh, I heard about this mm-hmm. and the comparison that they're yeah. about to make. Okay, continue. There's, there, <laughs> there's a sex scene in the episode 102 of Underground that has a lot of in common with the scene of Antari and Murphy. There's one person who holds all the power, including the power of life and death, and there's another person who appears to submit enthusiastically to sex because the alternative could mean death or harm to themselves or to someone they love, and that is no choice at all. That is not free and voluntary consent by any definition of the word. In Underground, the sex scene is between a plantation owner and his slave, but while Miss Ernestine, 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 the house slave, is the one who appears to initiate the encounter in the episode, and despite the sensual way that the scene is staged and shot, the marvelous acting in the scene leaves the audience without a doubt that, that Ernestine is disgusted with what she's doing and what she feels she has to do in order to protect her enslaved daughter, Rosalie. 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 (laughs) In The Hundred, I'd argue that the situation is much the same and should inspire an equal amount of horror and empathy with the person being coursed. Both of those scenes portray rape. The fact that we are left feeling unsure of what's going on or how to feel in Fallen is the fault of the creative team. All right. So Diana continues. Correction. The marvelous acting in the scene leaves the audience without a doubt that Ernestine is disgusted with what she's doing and that she feels she has to do in order to protect her enslaved children, so more than one Mm. child. Okay. Oh, also there's a P.S. P.S. Olga, you mentioned in the episode the example of a minor being in a sexual relationship with a legal adult and how that was a situation where one party simply isn't in a position to be able to give willing informed consent. The disparity in that situation is one of absolute age and maturity. In our society today, we don't see young people below a certain age as being capable of giving informed consent. If anything, surely the disparity between Ontari and Murphy is even more obvious. Murphy is the captive. He literally has a collar and chain around his neck. Just because he's male and white and possibly older than Ontari doesn't erase the power imbalance. Just as we should be left feeling disturbed and a little skeevy after watching a scene where an adult takes advantage of a 15-year-old, we should also be left uneasy after a scene in which a captive is coerced into sex by his captor. Yes, that's exactly what I was trying to go for. And the thing that I was saying that I felt like there is a difference between the you know, underage thing and the Murphy thing is mm-hmm. that I just feel like the idea of why we think that underage people can't handle the situation is because they literally don't understand they're in the situation. Right. Whereas Murphy, I think, is fully aware of what is happening here. Right. And so that's why I felt like there was a blurred line about if he's fully aware and he still doesn't feel raped and is okay with what happened then that makes this blurred line that's confusing. Well, I think this is a good time to bring up that article that we both read on, what was it, Hypable? Hypable. Hypable. It's called, I'm going to read the title real quick, it's called How the Hundred Has uh, Facilitated Important Conversations About Free Will and Rape Culture by Selena Selena Wilkin. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So a lot of that article goes into, like, stuff that we're not going to address, but we're going to talk about Murphy in that. And it brings up a good point of, like, some rape victims, thanks to, like, rape culture and ambiguity mm. in our society of what we read as rape, sometimes rape victims aren't even sure themselves mm-hmm. of whether they whether were they were raped. Yeah. Like, they might feel off and that something was wrong about that, but, like, they're not sure if they did something, if it's their fault and, like, yeah. victim blaming, yeah. you know, victim blaming both from the outside and inner perspective. Yeah. So there were a few things I do want to throw in about 
that I thought of that I wrote down after reading that article. Yeah. Um, because the article kind of convinced me that the writers intended this to be rape, that, that, that it mm-hmm. was their intention. Right. Um, and, and that's mostly because of the connections. Like, we hadn't really fully realized the connection of Allie violating Raven's body in that same episode. Mm-hmm. And that's such a clear parallel that, that that's part of the reason why I feel like they probably were trying for that parallel. Yeah, probably. It would be weird if that just was a coincidence. Yeah. So, you know, so I wrote down, you know, if the writers thought it was clearly rape, but overestimated people's ability to spot rape, then I don't think they did anything ethically wrong. Aesthetically, I think it should have been a bit more clear, though. Mm-hmm. Because that's the thing. If they if they wrote this and they were like, well, yeah, obviously that's rape, mm-hmm. and then people have a unclear idea of what rape is, mm-hmm. then, you know, that's unfortunate that they didn't realize that people needed more hand-holding, mm-hmm. but that's not necessarily ethically wrong. Yeah. Um, aesthetically, I think it is left confusing, and I wrote down part of the reason I feel like it's left confusing, and it's something that a lot of people have talked about, mm-hmm. um, is the whole thing of, a lot of people are saying that, you know, Murphy's a guy, he's a strong, masculine, powerful guy, he can't be raped. I don't think that at all. Right. But the fact that it's Murphy specifically is what confuses me. So I wrote down, like, if it had been Lincoln, Lincoln, who's also a strong, masculine, you know, alpha male type, he was in a relationship too, very similar situation, right? Yes. Assuming Lincoln was alive. Yes. So I wrote, you know, <laughs> if, he, if he was chained up, then I wouldn't think for a second that he'd be happy to have an excuse to potentially cheat. Murphy, I did. Right. Um, I wouldn't say that he could easily be turned on by Antari's threat. Murphy, I did. Um, I wouldn't take a sarcastic smile from him as a potential sign of excitement. Whereas Murphy, it's hard to tell. Yes. And so, like, that's just what Murphy is. And that I think the who Murphy is, more than the fact that he is a strong male, is why I was confused. Yeah. You it's know, not like, just because he's like, oh, he's good with a gun and he kills people yeah. if he wants to. That's not, at the end of the day, that goes with the, and I think the article, it also makes this point of, like, mm. a strong man can't be raped. Like, it can still happen. That's yeah. not what's making me have issue. It's specifically Murphy. Yeah. <laughs> and that's where it's kind of unfortunate. Yeah. Kind of getting back to what Diana is saying yeah. here about the ethical irresponsibility yeah. of this. This is where it's also difficult, where I kind of also was more... I, I think I'm kind of still in the camp of, like, it being irresponsible. Yeah, yeah. The article that we're talking about, it kind of praises the fact that it's ambiguous as a thing of, like, well, the show doesn't hold the viewer's hand. It's yeah. not... What was the term it used? Signposting? Yeah, it was saying that that usually when we see rape in, in shows and movies and stuff, it's just, like, it's stereotypical almost. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, it's forceful, it's, um, you know, a strong man against a woman. Mm-hmm. It's, like, it's it's very clearly, oh, this is terrible, this is rape. Whereas they were saying that the way the Antari scene played out was more realistic to how most rapes occur. Mm-hmm. And that it was just showing you the reality of the situation is it isn't always violent, it isn't always a man and a woman, it's, you know... That yeah. there's more complexities there and that it creates more of a discussion by being more realistic. Yeah. And and that's where I do agree in a way of, like, this being realistic because in real life people don't always know what to believe and interpret. Yeah. So it's hard because it's kind of ethically irresponsible because maybe for a show it's not... I kind of believe it's not 
necessarily going to handle it with the gravitas that it deserves. I have no idea, honestly. I have no idea. I don't know. Yeah. I'm questioning this. No. Um, whereas it is responsible or a good idea in some ways because it's a different perspective that as a viewer who's discussing it, it's yeah. bringing up topics that aren't discussed enough. Yeah. So it's mm. interesting. I think. Mean, I mean, I think it probably, honestly, given the amount of responses and the discussions that happened, it probably had a net positive effect, even even if they didn't intend it as rape or whatever. That that's you know, I'm not going to praise them for that. It's just it's a, potentially a nice side effect, right? You know, yeah. like um, we don't know. Yeah, you know, it, I, this continues <laughs> to be very unfortunately confusing. Yeah, topic. And I think, so I wanted to quickly from Diana's email, one of the things I want to mention is because they talked about how the acting and the shooting and everything made it clear what was going on. Mm-hmm. And it's tough because I feel like, I don't think that the actor who plays Murphy did a bad job. Right. He just played it so Murphy-y that I feel like his, that, that potentially the performance could have been what signposted it for us and it didn't. Right. And so that is unfortunate. Yeah. Um, I'm curious as to where they'll take it from here. I just, I kind of like... Yeah. Well, I'm glad that uh, 311 was more or less a bottle episode. Yeah. You want an answer. I want an answer. Yeah. Yeah, I want to know. All right. right, Let's move on to uh, Nicole's email. Yeah. All right. So Nicole says, hi, I just wanted to say I listened to your podcast today, first time listening, and really appreciated your honest and nuanced discussion of the Murphy-Ontari situation. First of all, thanks for including my comments. Uh, she is at Nicole Anel on Twitter, so go ahead and follow her, you guys. Um, you voiced a lot of the uncertainty and frustration I'm feeling over that scene's ambiguity and not knowing how, if, it's going to be addressed going forward, and also marring the potentially cool dynamic between those characters. Meanwhile, I found the Raven scene horrifying, but no more so than the earlier torture flashbacks did, and I did not have a, in, as intense a reaction to it as Olga did. I honestly felt so heartbroken listening to you talk about how badly the visual upset you and imagining others in the show's young and vulnerable audience having that reaction too. I don't know whether the story can or will justify that. Triggering topics and imagery are no joke, and your podcast just gave me a lot to think about on the issue. So thank you, (laughs) and hugs if you want them. Um, Looking forward to following all your episode reactions now. I appreciate hugs. Thank you. Um, this is just a very nice thank email. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Kind of going back just a second for the Murphy on Tari thing of yeah. um, not know, you know, just we basically just said of like not knowing how and if. Yeah. It's definitely like I honestly hadn't considered how it'll change their dynamic. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's so hard to predict because it depends so much on whether Murphy. he thinks it is rape or yeah. not. And... and that's kind of sad because it's like we were really enjoying watching yeah. that. And, and maybe that could have something to say of like someone, even a close friend, even not saying they're friends, but like mm. even someone, you know, like no matter what the dynamic between people, mm. consent can be misread, even if you think they're cool with each other. Yeah. So, like, that's this is the yeah. important side of it of like why we teaching about consent is important like i guess you could read it that way but more so it kind of will suck of just like kind of was cool when he was her sidekick yeah how can they ever really revert that without it being uneasy yeah you know it it, i agree that that is a a potentially night a sad thing to lose yeah um generally i feel like i've seen so many opinions on this whole thing now that i don't even know what i think anymore i'm just fortunate i feel like i'll 
see where they go with it and then maybe reevaluate. <laughs> I mean, you that's know, definitely like, it. Where like yeah. a lot of our opinion is going to yeah. depend on what we see next. But yeah. I, I'm I'm with you. I'm with you, Nicole, yeah. on kind of already missing that yeah. about them yeah. together. Yeah. When, I should point out when I say I don't know where I stand, it's because having read that article, yeah, I now feel like there's a semi-valid positive take. Mm-hmm. on what happened mm-hmm. but there's tons of people who i also think are valid in saying that there's a negative ethical thing going on mm-hmm. so i feel like i'm not just in the middle or i'm like i kind of see both points of view and i i no longer have a visceral connection to either of them yeah you know yeah going back to raven now yeah um we kind of discussed again in our recap 311 311 how yeah. they kind of moved away from everything going everything on in 310 and focus more on the exorcism kind of possession side of things, at least from Raven's point of view. I was really worried because I actually did see the promo for 311. Yeah. And I saw a thing of like Raven bashing her head against the headboard yeah. and Bellamy saying like she's trying to kill herself. Yeah. And I immediately, like, I texted Dan and later we discussed. I was like, I'm worried about this because. Wow, what if it's going to be worse than 310? Yeah. Like, I should prepare, and maybe this they're doubling down on it. And at that point, my opinion had kind of changed yeah. about whether it was okay. Whether or it was not. okay, I still yeah. think it was overly intense and too um, copyable. Yeah. Like, too relatable. Too relatable, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but then they, like, went back on it. So now I'm like, well, then you just kind of use the shock value in the promo of the word of she's trying to kill herself. And yes, then that's like you're holding it over Allie of like, if she doesn't get the flame, if she's dead and all of this, but still, it it felt like used, like they used the severity and the seriousness of episode 310 Mm. to promote 311. Yeah. And then didn't actually address it in any way. In any, like, allegorical Actual way, way that yeah. would have been beneficial yeah. or continuing to be yeah. beneficial. So that was just kind of my disappointment yeah. a little. I get that. And again, I also, back in 311 in our recap, I mentioned, like, not to say that Raven won't overcome her pain and that won't be a takeaway eventually. Yeah. She probably will be strong, Raven, again, and live with her pain instead of running away from it. But still, it kind of sucked that this is what they went for yeah. instead. All right. Sorry to move on. (laughs) No, no, I was done. I was waiting for you to start reading. All right. So we have an email from Barrington Monty. We have two, actually. One. So this first one is from before 311, and then there's one from after 311. So, hi, Dan Olga. Big fan of your podcast. I listen to it on my commute, and I very much enjoy your dynamic because you guys are fun and smart and hilarious and try really hard to be fair, which can be hard given how polarized parts of the fan base have become since Lex's death. Thank you so much for the kind words. Thank you. As a physician fan, also lesbian and Klexa fan, who just discovered this amazing show this season, I just wanted to share my views on the anatomy of Ali One and Ali of the Ali One and Ali Two chips. I also write about this on my Tumblr, but no time to recruit followers equals no followers. <laughs> um, this was jotted down between episodes ten and eleven, so it may change after I watch episode eleven. Excuse typos, blah 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 blah. Um, all right, I just want to throw in before I get into this. Uh, this was really long, both of these, but I thought it was really interesting, and I think it's awesome that we have a physician fan who's, like, gonna go into the science and what makes sense and what doesn't. Yeah. So, awesome. I'm totally gonna read it. As a person who quit being pre-med. <laughs> respect. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Ali 1.0, according to Jahat, 
It's a silicon-based device. One suggests that the filaments reconstitute in the brainstem and interrupt pain receptors, inhibiting certain neural pathways from firing. Expanding on this description, the silicon matrix would have to pass through the GI tract and the bloodstream and the blood-brain barrier, then specifically into the posterior circulation of the brain. Maybe you should keep reading I was about to say, (laughs) I was worried in this entire sentence, I was waiting with bated breath to correct you on pronunciation. Go ahead. (laughs) All right. Um... Where were we? Circulate, posterior circulation of the brain. All right, where it would take up residence in the brainstem. All this would take a minimum of an hour or so, but in the show, it takes a minute or less. A nitpick. However, modulating pain pathways in the brainstem would be an efficient way to modulate body pain. As for memories, it's the hippocampi, part of the temporal lobes, where memories are stored, not in the brainstem. And of course, psychic suffering is a different animal, most likely shared among many different parts of your brain. But again, a nitpick. Back to the ingested chip. If I had to disintegrate into small parts enough to get into the bloodstream... If it had to. Oh, sorry. I was about... Why would you have to? (laughs) You're gonna do it. I believe in you, Barrington. I believe in you, Barrington. You can do it. Um, uh, To get into the bloodstream, it would be pretty much impossible to reconstitute in a similar form to the ingested chip. Imagine swallowing a titanium knee replacement as treatment for your knee arthritis. (laughs) That's hilarious. (laughs) I've seen knee replacement surgeries. That will not go down easy. (laughs) Also, your cranium is big enough to hold your brain and not much else, not even something as small as that chip. It would probably reconstitute in a scattered fashion, interdigitating, uh, I hope I pronounced that correctly, among neurons and other cells and the underlying supportive connective tissue of the brain. This would also make removal of the AI extremely difficult. Cutting it out would disturb lots of really precious real estate real estate in your brainstem, responsible for things like, oh, breathing, and you'd <laughs> never be sure that you removed all of it. Surgical removal would probably kill the person, at least render them significantly disabled. Trying to short-circuit it, I guess, is possible, but again, if the silicon matrix basically weaves itself into the brainstem of the victim, there's no guarantee that shorting it wouldn't also damage surrounding brain. And as above, the brainstem is responsible for many vital functions. But this is TV, and I really want Raven back. Also, to be fair, now that we've seen 311, they say that's a possibility. It's not like they don't not talk about that possibility mm-hmm. of damaging the brain. Right. It just happens that, thankfully, it works out. Yeah. 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 <laughs> By the way, Raven experiencing sudden, extreme, somatic, physical, visceral pain would certainly be believable if this brainstem modular was suddenly switched on slash off. Mm. Alley 2.0, as we see in episode 7, is a chip implanted directly under Lex's skin. Technically, where it's implanted is the neck, which doesn't seem that far from the brain, but there's skin, connective tissues, bone, and thick vibrous, fibrous protective covering called the dura mater, and the brainstem and brain are located inside the cranium, not the neck. However, the creators of the show cleverly showed Becca's second chip with actively moving and presumably actively searching and targeting filaments. Yeah, I really like that. Yeah. So, it's theoretically possible that the filaments could work their way from the base of the neck around vertebrae and many layers of connective tissue, insinuating through the dura mater to their target somewhere in the brain. Since a lot of executive functions, decision-making, etc., reside in the frontal lobes, the filaments should theoretically reach all the way there. But again, nitpicking here. So overall, grade for anat- anatomic accuracy in Alley B+. It's a fascinating, compelling concept, and the few medical leaps aren't annoying enough to make me stop watching. I'm really impressed by the show. 
The terrible choices that the kids face are way worse than my occasional harshly considered decisions for my job. But in this small way, I feel kinship with them. The ferocity of the response to Lex's death speaks to how good of a job they've done making these stories and themes ring true and universal. I'm currently making my way through seasons one and two. Time consuming, so not easy to do, but I'm an obsessive type and I know I can do it. Looking forward to your next installation with the two or three days it'll take me to get through it. This show is too violent for my girlfriend, so I have to process it through things like your podcast. Okay, this turned into a really long email. Commute nearly done. Off to work. P.S. Barrington is my dog's name. Interesting. Cool. I so, didn't know your dog was a physician. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so... I don't really have anything to say. I just felt like society needed to hear that because it's society. cool. Society. No, I'm really, I'm yeah. really, this was really cool. Yeah. Absolutely. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. Man, your commute must be really long. <laughs> well, part two. <laughs> so now there's another one from Barrington that we should read right after. Well, do you want to read this one since it's unlikely to have as much? Uh... Um, we'll see. I, well, I'll try. All right. <laughs> hi, Al- hi, Dan and Olga. Our favorite... Pincushion Raven is back, but first, can we all agree that Lindsay Morgan was amazing? She slew this episode. Yes, we can totally agree with that. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is a follow-up to my previous discussion about anatomy and Allie, the physics of the EMP and how it would destroy Allie 1 without really seriously hurting Raven are way over my head, but going back to Allie 1 and how it implants such interfaces with the host, I discussed before with how it would have to pass through the GI tract, bloodstream, and the blood-brain barrier before reconstituting, and I probably disorganized and inter- interdigitated <laughs> I struggle with that word interdigitated too. fashion in the targeted portions of the brain tissue itself, which would make it removing it impossible and short-circuiting it extremely dangerous as it could damage the surrounding brain. But this is TV. Clark has one of her usual um, epiphanies. epiphanies while in the middle of something else, something I've come to expect from and love about Clark. <laughs> <laughs> and she draws a parallel between Alley 2 coming out of the neck of Lexa and Alley 1, incision in the back of the neck, black slug oozing out of the incision, people muttering, what is that? Flashbacking to an even less pleasant episode. Mm-hmm. I guess the black slug oozing out of the incision is supposed to be the fried chip. Yum, chips. <laughs> Which reminds me, I've discussed before how I think the Alley 1 reconstituting in the back of the neck is basically anal- analogous to swallowing a titanium knee replacement for your knee arthritis, but I can see how they're drawing as many parallels as possible between the two AIs, and since it is artificial intelligence, I suppose anything is possible. Uh, it just seems physiological impossible to me, but hell, it, uh, I'm not a TV sci-fi writer, just a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> only only time when this sounds like a bad thing, like, oh, no, I don't write crazy sci-fi. I'm just a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> Nitpicking here, but Clark slices into Raven's neck without cleaning it first, with a nasty-ass scalpel that has a hundred years of gunk on it, <laughs> and as far as I can tell, doesn't clean or suture her wound. <laughs> That's like malpractice, (laughs) but it got us Raven back, so I'm willing to forgive it. How funny, and by funny, I mean awful, would it be if Raven died of infected neck wound (laughs) after all of this? That would be hilarious. Um, I know Abby's a doctor, but did Clark go to med school? Isn't she like 18? Uh, So (laughs) 
I want to throw in there. Okay, so I assume that that question might be because uh, Barrington hasn't finished the whole show yet, or oh right, uh, because the answer to that is just that there is no med school, and nope. she's she was an apprentice, I guess is what you would say, because there's no Her mom's a doctor. Yeah, when you grow up on the Ark, you don't. You're more doing apprenticeships. Maybe you have earth skills classes, but you're not going to have high school and college and all that jazz. Yeah. You're going to be trained for a task. Yeah. Yeah. You'll see some fun of her just sticking things sticking <laughs> things into people. <laughs> like, just operating on people in even yeah. more unsanitary circumstances. Though I think there have definitely been times where she, like, puts alcohol mm-hmm. on her hands and Season stuff. Season one, too. Yeah, she's like, yeah. get me this, a clean thing. Yeah. And here it's just like, Raven's dying. It's like, you've been watching her asleep for probably half an hour. There are certain... Um, occupations that a person can have <laughs> that make watching TV more difficult. I'm sure being a really good computer scientist is one of them, because anytime hacking happens, I'm sure it's bullshit. Oh my god. Um, being a, no one who's good with computers should yeah. watch either Arrow or Flash. Um, probably having a law degree or being a cop. Or being a doctor all also hurt your enjoyment of television. So don't do that, kids. Uh, <laughs> don't become doctors or lawyers or any other or any other profession that requires lots of education because yeah. you won't enjoy TV as much. I'm also sure physics <laughs> is not good either. <laughs> We're really encouraging people to do the right thing. As two people um, sitting in a basement right now. <laughs> let's get to finish off Barrington's email. Of course. <laughs> P.S. Had to walk the show by myself in one room while my girlfriend caught up on the democratic debate and the other but her not watching the show leaves me to means me to process my thoughts through venues like yours thanks again looking forward to hearing your discussion in the episode i'll always understand if my emails are way too long blah, blah 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 thank you so much they are not too long because we really yeah like it whoa actually the it's signed off barrington the doctor dog i called <laughs> it i didn't even read this email i'm that's sorry hilarious. i just blew everything i got very excited <laughs> that's so funny <laughs> Oh, man. All right. (laughs) So, this next one. Hey, guys, it's Ted. This episode was an interesting one, to say the least. 311. We are discussing 311 Mm. now. There were a lot of plot holes that made it hard to watch, but also a lot happened to move the story forward. First, Monty shooting his mom was something I knew would happen, but the transition sort of left me feeling meh about it. Monty's acting was phenomenal, but it seemed like it happened way too fast. Also, how did Allie know Monty was the one going to get the battery when they didn't mention it around Raven? That's hilarious. Oh I didn't my even god, think how did we that. miss that? Didn't even think of that. It's hilarious. Oh, this makes me so mad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that's the whole thing is, so it would make sense. To Monty send lots even, of people? Well, yeah, I was going to say, to some degree, maybe it made sense to send just Hannah if you knew it was Monty. But if you don't even know it's Monty, then why would you guess send Hannah? Then you're not going to trust Hannah even more so. Yeah. Yeah, because nobody trusts nobody Hannah. Trusts Hannah. Yeah. And the most Monty. Per- person who yeah. arguably trusted her the most is Monty, who is not guaranteed. Oh, wait, wait, but hold on. But Except, I guess you could argue that Allie saw everybody else who was still there, right? She knew Jasper was there, she knew Bellamy was there, she just knew... Then she knew Octavia also left, so she knew Yeah, at least two people yeah. were going, and she sends one person. Yeah, that was dumb. This is bad. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> okay. And why go all the way to the dropship if they had a capable battery on the rover? I don't think it was the battery they were looking for on the on Wait, the wait, hold ship. on. I think you skipped the thing. Octavia is a badass oh, warrior. Yeah. Octavia is a badass warrior, and she couldn't put Monty's mom down without needing to kill her. 
And why go all the way to the dropship if they had a capable battery on the rover? I thought it was something else. Yeah, they were getting an electromagnet. From that's the, what I from thought. The yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what I, when I was writing the notes down the second time, I was like, oh, they're going to get the battery. And I was like, nope. Okay, that, because I had the same question. Mm. Um, I, so they were getting electromagnets, so that's the difference. I will also say, I don't know. I feel like Hannah has been pretty significantly built up as a badass who's been fighting for her survival for yeah. months. So I don't really have an issue with the Octavia thing. a simple thing. farmer woman. <laughs> yep. I don't know. I just, again, I'm not going to get into all this again and get myself riled up again. <laughs> but, but yeah, that was horribly handled. I'm wondering how you figured that out, Ted. That Monty would have to shoot his mom. I think some people, I think there were, like, potentially spoilers floating around, it seemed like. Huh. I had vaguely heard people talking about that, but thought it was just speculation. Okay. Um, so I also wasn't super surprised when I yeah. saw it, unfortunately, ah. but... I was, except yeah. I, and I was also surprised by how meh I also felt... Yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, continuing. When Clark said, it's Lexa, I legit had a tear in my eyes, and I just hope there's more grieving to come. Yeah, I love that delivery. Yeah. I feel like Bellamy and Jasper get chances to feel sad and angry without giving the same chance to Raven and Clark, especially Clark, since she's always being blamed for Mount Weather and other things. Hopefully this wasn't Bellamy's redemption arc, because I don't feel like he's at the point yet. Can't wait to hear your guys' opinion on the episode. Um, I think that's interesting. I guess you're right that they maybe they have given more time to Bellamy and Jasper being sad, but I still feel like... Clark's been pretty significantly sad for the past 11 episodes, and that's mostly what she's been doing. Yeah. She was distracted by Lexa, which who, who blames her. So, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I feel like I definitely had a harsher reaction and more confusion about Clark's pacing as well mm. when we recorded our recap, and now I've kind of sat with it, and I was like, yeah, I guess it makes sense. I've kind of come to terms with that yeah. more. Um, I I don't believe that this is it for Bellamy and Jasper's redemption. Yeah. I, I want to throw in, I, I feel like it's in character for Clark that the way she deals with grief is by becoming stony and angry and not the way that Bellamy and Jasper do. Because that's the thing about, she killed Finn and literally like two episodes later, she was not speaking about Finn anymore because she was dealing with what had to be dealt with. And I feel like the same thing here with Lexa, she's dealing with her grief by getting the flame to Luna. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's who she is. Yeah. And that's kind of great gender representation, too, because as much as it's one of those interesting things where it's like, yeah, it would be nice if they they killed the girls feeling more emotional. But uh, that's kind of what every show does. <laughs> like, yeah, it's like, <laughs> usually it's the man who's like, I have to put aside my feelings yeah. so I can get this done. Yeah. And I will cry later. It's like, yeah. well, Clark does both. Yeah. And is badass yeah. and gets stuff done anyway. Yeah. And then she yells about frying people mm-hmm. and screws some things up for a little while. <laughs> yep. All right, so... All right, so do you have anything else you want to say, or should I go to the next one? No, let's go to the next one. All right, so f- I believe this person wanted to be anonymous. Okay. Um, so I haven't actually fully read this one yet, so this will be interesting. You asked for a different perspective, so here one is... Apologies if it turns into a nonsensical rant. I'm very tired. If by chances you want to use it, any of it in your podcast, which I really enjoy, by the way, especially your thoughts on Raven last week, I would appreciate anonymity. I feel very much in the minority with my unpopular opinions. Furthermore, I'm more happy to have my thoughts contradicted, If more than happy to have my thoughts contradicted if you think my perspective is wonky. The discussion is what's fun about all of this. Okay, cool. I'm interested to see what this will be. Great. I stumbled upon the pilot for The 100 the day after it aired. I was having a rough day, and the silly teen dramas can be a good remedy for me. So it sounded like the perfect way to waste an hour. 
And oh, was it silly. <laughs> Towards the end of the episode, the dialogue and acting was so cheesy that I was rolling my eyes. I was considering turning it off when s- something crazy happened. A spear shot out of the woods and hit one of the main characters in the chest. Roll credits. I was shocked. I had no idea what I'd just seen. I loved that feeling. The following week, when the next episode was posted, I watched it as part of my weekly list. The week after that, I was too excited to wait and watch the episode out of turn. Later, when Clark took the knife from Bellamy and hummed to Adam while she stabbed him in the neck, I knew I was in love. Uh, I bought the season so that I could watch the episodes as soon as they came out. I enjoy what the show has become, but I disagree with the consensus that the first episodes are bad. Interesting. Mm -hmm. In in context, they're the reason this show works for me, and as well as the reason why I think it has stopped working for so many people. When we expect the show and characters to be badass and complex all the time, instead of allowing a story to to present a series of impossible choices and thwarted expectations, we're failing to understand the purpose of and strength of the storytelling. Anyway, I feel like there's a difference between me as a viewer and those who heard about a dark show with strong women and LGBT characters uh, sought it out and binged it for those expectations in mind. I love darkness, awesome women, and diversity, but I also watched these things emerge week after week with no expectations that they would appear uh, or that they would last. So recent events have not hurt my opinion. For those who watched the show because of Lexa, I can understand that it might no longer be interesting to you. I don't see her death as betrayal, however, but as the ebb and flow of exactly the kind of story this is. I, I'm going to stop for a second yeah, and say, I actually watched the show the same exact way that this emailer did. And I, even further than that, I remember I saw the trailer for this show like months before the pilot even came out. And I remember when I saw the trailer, I was like, oh, this is CWE. But a really cool premise, and I'm a I'm a fan of CW shows, and I was like, this is a really cool premise. Hopefully, it will be cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it felt very very different. It's Lord of the Fliesy, and I love Lord of the Flies, and I love Lost, and all that stuff. And mm-hmm. you know, um, Kane is from Lost, and so I was excited. So I watched the. I, I can't try to remember if I watched like maybe the first. I might have like been a little late, and then watched like the first two or three together or something. And there was the thing where it's like the pilot, yeah, is cheesy for sure. But I was just like, oh, this is cheesy fun. And so I, I think in some ways I was similar. I, I had a similar path. And I just want to throw that in there before I continue. I'm trying to remember how what you told me about the show when I started watching it. I mean, I think one of the one of the main things that probably influenced you is that I said it was potentially my favorite show on TV. Uh, oh, right. So, like, no matter what, you're expecting it to become good. That's and not, true. And not just goofy. Yeah, I remember the yeah. first, like, two episodes that we watched together. I was like... Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll see. But then I was addicted very quickly Yeah, binged it. Well, I, I think for a lot of people who I've talked to, the the real turning point is when, well, and when Wells dies. Yeah. And, yeah, that was to me, I was like, because it went from, and that moment it shifted from, and that was very early on, it was yes. at the end of episode three or something. It shifted from, oh, I'm enjoying this, it's silly, to, oh, it's fun, and it's dark, and they're going to go places other people wouldn't go. Yeah. Especially because it was a, a young kid doing it. Yeah, that was insane. You know? So, and then the next episode, I think, is a really strong episode. Yeah. With the whole Murphy thing. So, yeah, I'm going to continue on now. In reference to Lex's death, the reaction has been problematic to me as a storyteller. It's important for me to write LGBT characters not because I think they require more representation, though I'm sure they do, but because issues of sexuality and gender identity are essential to the human struggle. 
Hmm. Not including them is unthinkable. But what does this backlash mean for me when there's a character I'm writing who I discovered to be a lesbian? Before she revealed this to me, I had already planned her death. Now, after this eruption of negativity, I find myself wondering if I should abandon all of her storylines in order to avoid causing any offense. I don't like the idea that storytellers are expected to censor themselves to the point where interesting characters might not be allowed to exist because the fear of disappointing the audience is too great. This isn't me saying, uh, sit down and shut up, but a plea to consider my, the matter from someone else's perspective. People were considering suicide after Lex's death, and whatever else you might say, that is a lot of pressure for writers. Too much pressure, in my opinion, especially considering that these specific writers have a progressive message and the best of intentions. Um, let's continue on, but I'm going to pause there. I am also a writer, and I totally get what you're saying here. Yeah, you, um, you've had some struggles with that yeah. yourself. I mean, I, I, I would say, I've told Olga before that like I wrote a pilot for a show a few years back, and it was before I'd really read about representation and taken classes about representation and stuff. And I wrote that show, and it was an all-white cast with a male lead. Um, and I've before that, I'd also written a lot of things with female leads, but I just happened to write a male lead there. And so after taking those classes and stuff, I was like, you know what? You know, why don't I go back and try to, like, change some race stuff or change some genders or try to be more inclusive? And then I was like... That's not because that's just not how this works. Because I had already planned out, you know, this this lead, you know, because I was like, oh, maybe I'll make the lead black. And then I was like, well, they're super violent and they're co- constantly doing awful things. This isn't a positive portrayal of a black character. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, they they're a thief. Like, I'm like, this is not a positive. And I was like, okay, you know, I have this strong m- male uh, father figure in the show. Maybe I'll make it a mother figure. And I was like, oh, but eventually my plan was for this character to die, mm-hmm. well, then that doesn't do anything good, even if I make it a one. So it leads to this whole thing, and you also don't want to be just throwing in things. To, like That was a mentality they had like four years ago or whatever, right? You don't want to just throw in things to throw in things either. Yeah. If you want to write a black character, you should write a black character. You shouldn't just be adding that race on afterwards. Yeah. And so, yeah, I totally agree with you. Especially that- <laughs> without changing... Like, there are other things that maybe it just becomes a different character, and if that's not the character you wanted to write... Yeah. Not just for the responsibility's sake, but just for the sake of, like, in your mind, it's turned into a new character. Yeah. The thing is that I think is difficult is it's it's a fine line between... He says the thing about how people should censor themselves, and I'm like, people take a lot of times where it's like if i if you criticize i'm not saying this this writer is doing this but yeah um a lot of times people say like if people criticize the way a woman is portrayed or they criticize this race thing or whatever that we're trying to censor the writers Mm -hmm. i'm not trying to censor anyone censor means i'm stopping them from doing it i'm trying to give them my feedback and say i don't like this Uh, you know like Mm -hmm. and i don't think there's anything wrong with people saying that saying that that reacting to what they're saying. If you get to the point where you're saying you're not allowed to do this, that isn't good, but it's also even even if I literally tweeted, you know, Jason Rothenberg, you're a bad person, you're not allowed to do this to Lexa. Yeah. I'm still not censoring him because I'm I have no power there. You know, like, I I Your vote your voice is in I don't know if I agree because yeah. your voice is in favor of censorship then. I suppose. That's how I read it, of, like, you yeah. are then asking for someone else to with power to censor them. Like, 
You yeah. are in favor of people being censored because of your... I don't know. I suppose. There's a fine line yeah, there. That's an interesting I have perspective. difficulty with that. Yeah. Okay. But in either way, I, would, I wouldn't... I wouldn't say you're know, not allowed to do this. You know, I would just say I think this is problematic, and but I don't there think are there's anything. Who are saying that. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right for sure. Uh, I'm going to continue the email unless you have okay. else you want to throw in. No, no, I just want to bring up that yeah. there's like just because you don't say it and you don't have yeah. power doesn't mean that what you're saying isn't in support of that. Yeah, and I am not in support of censorship either. Yeah. But there are people who are and are saying this about the hundred and other things, and yeah, I mean there are things I don't like on TV. A yeah. lot, and not just in the hundred. And yeah. I'm not even talking about representation here. Just mm. like, where does it end? And how much do yeah. fan voices get to? They have so much of an influence now because there's such a method of communication, like a clear line of communication between fans and creators mm. and writers. That it's like, it. I don't think it's an easy time to be a writer. No, not at all. I totally agree. And, and not even just like a TV writer or whatever. No. A create it's a tough time to be a creator. There's yeah. so many things, censorship type things with video games going on right now, and people flipping out about things. And it's there is a reason to be angry. There people there has been negative media for so many people for yeah. so many different ways for so many years, and now people feel like they finally have a voice. And I get that. Yeah, I get but that. But it is I mean, making it very change. making it very difficult to be a creator. But another side of it is also just the fact that it's also definitely difficult again because of the because of the screen of the fact that you're talking to someone who's not directly in front of you yeah you're not you're seeing only one side of them that there can be this disconnect between treating them as a person yeah and we've addressed this in past podcasts in some ways but like when you're just saying like you suck you can't write this yeah then then it's just the same of like there's still a person who's entitled to have a belief about the character they're writing and it's yeah. okay if you don't agree and it's fine if you have a voice but like there is a civility yeah that people are owed to or yeah. owed unless someone's genuinely trying to be hateful in their writing you know yeah. like well it reminds me of there was a time in in my film my screenwriting class where i wrote a scene and it was, it was, I was trying to write a, a film with a, like a strong female action hero at the center of mm-hmm. it, right? And the, one of the early scenes had an interaction between two, two girls and there was, there was literally no touching. There was nothing written about like lingering looks or whatever, but I don't know, I, apparently subconsciously, I, I did realize that there was like a little subtext of maybe they're, uh, maybe they're into each other. Uh-huh. And... People, like, did pick up on it because I was like, that's impressive. They don't even talk to you. (laughs) And I was like, I don't even know how you got that. But And people were angry that I was doing that. Really? And I was like, because they were like, oh, you're just, like, doing, like, an over-sexualized, like, lesbian because you're a guy, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, first of all, there's literally nothing sexualized at all in this scene at all. And second of all... At all, three times. (laughs) And I'm just like... If there's, if I'm not titillating people with it, if it's just a genuine scene of connection between two people, I have no idea why this is a problem. (laughs) It's, yeah. But I'm going to go back to the email. Yeah, Yeah. sorry. I think we got totally off track with this email, though. Oh, well. (laughs) Here's the thing about the character of Lexa. She's real. She was never a ploy to get LGBT viewers. Even the best writer couldn't create a character like the commander without a profound respect for everything she is. The viewers didn't give her dignity 
And though the actor made some beautiful choices, it was the delicate yet powerful writing uh, that created Lexa. If they had thought so little of her as people are suggesting, she she would have been written differently. I have no doubt, had other shows not made offers, she would have been signed on as a series regular. To lash out at people who created her strikes me as an inappropriate response. As for the assertion that Lexa deserved a better death, I don't think the people saying this are being completely honest with themselves. No death would have felt satisfying because at the end of the day, she would still be dead. If we could erase people's memories and reshoot the scene, I'm confident that there would still be a dissatisfaction and anger. And I know Clark and Lexa had just had sex. That's how death scenes uh, across all genres build their momentum. They give the character a really good day so as to drive the home later to drive home a later tragedy. Sex is great, so it's not surprising <laughs> that the act is often included in the construction of a good day. <laughs> in no way are these people being uh, punished for having fe- having feelings. The show doesn't sex shame. The friendship of Raven and Clark, despite her affair with Finn, demonstrates the show's adult stance on sex. I'm going to pause there for a second. Okay. Um, I definitely don't think the show is punishing them for having sex. That being said... I, that doesn't stop it from being a trope. Correct. Specifically with lesbian characters, that mm-hmm. this has happened a lot more with them. Again, I I agree with a lot of what this... I actually really like this email I should throw out, and I'm reading... that. This is the first time I'm reading it. I agree with a lot of what they're saying, as far as, you know, at the end of the day, these people created them. I, I 100% believe that Jason Rothenberg loves this character didn't just write her for marketing reasons Mm -hmm. and that he cares about her and that he thought he was giving her a good death. Now we can disagree with him if we want to. I will, I I will say the thing that I disagree with this email about is I don't think that people's dissatisfaction is just because she died. I I do think people would be dissatisfied no matter what, if she died, Mm -hmm. but maybe in a different way, or maybe that if they were, it would be more illogical and more emotional. Yeah. This has more logic behind it because it is part of, connected to a trope and because it seemed like there was some queer baiting and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, it was a mix between behind the scenes and on-screen issues. Yeah. As for the death itself, um, I'm aware of the Buffy parallel and the, the claim uh, that it's a shot-for-shot comparison can be made. I can't speak to the cinematography, but if you consider the greater story behind both scenes, I contend that these scenes are more different than they are similar. Uh, okay, Buffy spoilers for people. Uh, hey! Oh, wait, I already know, because yeah. you already fucked me over. <laughs> Jeez. Sorry! Angry. Well, I was promised that eventually... I made a promise to Dan that eventually I would watch Buffy. <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, So Tara caught a stray bullet from someone who wasn't involved in her storyline. It came out of nowhere, had nothing to do with her, and served to advance Willow's plot. In contrast, the idea of Titus butting heads with Lexa was introduced almost as soon as we met his character. His attempts to turn Lexa's attention away from Clark's influence were many, and his decision to take matters into his own hands were a direct affront to the Hedda's judgment, which he claimed to hold in high regard. Uh, Though only so far as her... Thoughts agreed with his. Their disagreement wasn't about Wanheda, it was about their shifting power dynamic, about her her having learned a lesson that defied his teaching, and though he aimed the gun at her, Clark wasn't his intended victim. What? I don't agree with that. I don't agree at all. I'm sorry. Yeah. That, was a, that was a strong reaction, but like, yeah. no, I think we've actually on the podcast commended uh, 
Titus's initial introduction as like supportive of Lexa, like he respects yeah. her even if he disagrees and yeah. I don't see this. I'm sorry. I don't agree. Yeah, at all. to me I think this is it's I, I I think it's an interesting reading for sure, but I think that it's much more so him believing that he's right and wanting and he truly wants what's best for Lexa, but he just think he's controlling and thinks that what he thinks is best for Lexa is what's actually best for Lexa, not what Lexa thinks is best exactly. for Lexa. And so it is, you know, it's what the writers talked about with it being the folly of masculinity, thinking that they're the ones who should be in control and the power. I don't think he was aiming to hurt Lexa. Or, no, or, not physically. He's yeah. like, it will hurt for a time, this yeah. loss of your girlfriend, yeah. but in or, the long run. Or even to control her because he wanted power. No. It was to, he wanted to steer her in the direction that he believed was the right direction because he cared about her. For her, for yeah. her people. And yeah. I truly believe he cared about her. I agree. I yeah. think, I agree 100%. I've never really doubted that. Yeah. That being said, I agree that this scene, when you take it for more than just the shots, is very different from the Buffy scene. You're totally right that Tara had nothing to do with her shooter, and that it was done totally to propel another character's plot forward. Mm. I think that, and also I don't feel like Tara had been a character... Per, I think there's a lot of differences. One thing, I don't think Tara had been a character throughout her run who had consistently been a very strong, powerful person and then died, even though she was dying, was still strong and was still protecting her people. You know, I think there's a lot of differences going on here. Um, mm, sure. But, yeah. <laughs> but you can't disagree, I, I, so... I I'm feel gonna... like, I mean, again, as someone who hasn't seen Buffy... No. I don't know. I feel like Lexa's death was in some ways used to propel Clark's story forward. Potentially. I think it's, but more than just Clark's story. More than just that. Yeah. But I don't think we can say that it wasn't. Yeah, okay. But I just still feel like there's significant differences in how things turned out and how things came about. And that, I guess (laughs) guess you're like, her storyline was so separated from what was going on. And that this is, you know, that Lexa was specifically intertwined with Titus. And okay. uh, and again, the other big difference being that Alicia Deborn Carey was leaving the show, <laughs> you know? And so, yes, of course, you use her death to propel the protagonist's story forward because you, she's going to die, <laughs> you know? So, yep. so anyway. does uh, So they asked, does that sound crazy? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Sorry. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Think about it. Clark and Titus barely knew one another. They didn't have a strong enough relationship for him to have formed some kind of personal vendetta. Instead, he was desperate to kill the part of Lexa that threatened his ideology. Maybe Hedda didn't literally jump in front of the bullet, but she stood before many of his blows in the past, and even as he died, she leapt before a figurative bullet by making him promise not to hurt Clark. That line wasn't a throwaway. It was the end of a subtle battle she'd been fighting all season. Lexa believed in reincarnation. Not as fearful of death as others, she would she would be more frightened of standing up to her father figure than being killed on the battlefield. This is the reason that her defeat in a fight wouldn't have been more of a satisfying end. Her, in, her intimate death might have been too quiet for some, but I think the moment uh, demonstrates there are many kinds of strength and Lexa possessed them all. I agree with the latter part of this, about how I could see how her being defeated in a fight is less personal, yeah. it's less like you don't get the goodbye with Clark, yeah. and the fact that 
it demonstrates her strength, and yeah. that's very true, a different kind of strength, maybe yeah. a more respectable even strength than, yeah. like, physical strength. Yeah. That said, I cannot agree that there was blows between Lexa um, and Titus. They disagreed, but I think blows yeah. is just way too harsh a word. I, here's the thing. I, I, I think... I think I'm somewhere between the two of you. That's And that I actually like what he's saying about her making Titus promise to protect Clark is her figuratively standing in front of that bullet. And I think that's an interesting way. I hadn't thought about that, but I think that's that's pretty legitimate reading. Uh, and that I think that even if it wasn't quite blows between them, it wasn't a building dynamic of adversity between the two of them that she ended on her terms. You know, as far as... She's the she got what she of the battle over Clark, even though she died, she oh, she won Clark. You know okay, she won that he wouldn't kill Clark. Yeah, you know? no, no, I agree with that yeah. too because she did. Yeah, <laughs> but I don't, yeah. I don't see a personal vendetta in this or. Yeah, I mean, I certainly, having... I certainly don't think he has a personal vendetta against Lexa. No. Yeah, I mean, and there's pieces of of this argument that I think are interesting, but I I don't agree with the general thing of him having an issue with Lexa. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I think, like, I, I would be more inclined to agree mm. with the undercurrent than I am with the, like, the... what is being claimed about Titus. Yeah. I agree with what's said about Lexa, not about Titus. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Okay. In this context, the sidelining of Clark up until now also makes sense. Titus has never seen her do or say anything particularly badass, and it's not until after the commander's death that he begins to consider that Lex's judgment may have been right. Clark's refusal to accept Antari, a grander tradition that has been t- uh, has taken a frightening turn, makes him doubt everything he thought he knew. He even allows an outsider to take the flame, his sacred purpose, his meaning in life, to go off in search of someone uh, worthy of sharing Lex's legacy. It's not as though he suddenly trusted Clark, which wouldn't make any sense. It was that he finally allowed himself to trust Lex's judgment, which she died defending. Minutes later, feeling more guilty than he could ever understand, he kills himself. Yes, they could have spelled everything out more clearly, as with Valmy's arc. Jason Jason has admitted that Lexa jumping in front of the boat would have made sense. I didn't really need it to be so obvious because I like the fact that there is so much room for speculation and thought. What I enjoyed so much about this show from the beginning was that I, it, I was left with so many questions and had an entire week to ponder them. On the surface, this is an incredibly silly show, but somewhere inside is a vehicle for examining the vast gray areas of humanity and for exercising our empathy. Is Abby to blame for her husband's death? Did Murphy deserve to be hung for his alleged crime just because he was so unlikable? Do unlikable people in general deserve different rights? Is Bellamy responsible for the culling even though he didn't know the Ark was dying when he threw away the radio? That's untrue. He did know the Ark was dying when he threw away the radio. Was the initial violence of the Grounders justified? Can Mount Weather justify its own existence? Should it have to? Is it okay to dismiss Pike's opinion just because we didn't see his experience firsthand? Is it reasonable to expect people in a terrifying life or death existence to make rational choices? Is it reasonable to expect that they were uh, they will be able to understand a situation the same way we do? I think these are all very valid questions. Yeah. And not all of these questions are easy to answer. Yeah. But they are something that I think not enough people are taking the time to consider. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Before jumping to certain conclusions about the show and where it's going yeah. and everything like that. Yeah. And it's not always easy, but I think we try to address them and consider them. Yeah. But it takes a lot of uh, 
it takes a lot of patience with the show and trying to figure out where it's trying to go and what it's trying to say and yeah. trying to balance and argue different points. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right, so we looked forward in the rest of this email. We realized it's a lot longer after this, and as much as we we're interested in this different perspective and we thank you for your email, uh, we just don't feel like we can give that much more time. Uh, we kind of have to get out of here. So we're going to end out with this voice message. We got our first, vo- first, first voice message, and we're super thankful for it. Um, those voice messages are fun. They mean it so that we don't have to butcher your emails. Um, so if other people want to send us voice messages, they can do so by emailing the100pod at gmail.com. Please make them under two minutes, three minutes if you absolutely need it, and hopefully this is a nice voice message. Let's play it now. Hey, Dan and Olga. My name is Anella, and I'm sending you this voicemail all the way from Ontario, Canada. Yes, I'm indeed Ice Nation. <laughs> Before I get into the episode, I just want to say thanks for reading my emails in previous episodes, and I enjoy listening to your podcast every week. Anyways, all I want to say is, Ali is such a powerful villain. What makes her unique is the fact that once you've ingested the chip, she can hear what you hear and she can see what you see. Basically, you share your senses with her. Except for the sense of touch, since there's no pain in the City of Light. You can't feel pain and Ali won't feel the pain either. Perhaps that explains why Hannah was able to take down Octavia, who is a very strong warrior. Hannah didn't even flinch when Octavia punched her. She didn't even flinch when she got shot. And backtracking a little bit, since Ali shares Raven's senses, why didn't the delinquents just put a bag on her head? Rowan did that to Clark during the first episode of this season, and I know she had that blindfold, but (laughs) that didn't really work out. Also, when Raven was hitting her head on the wall, why didn't they just put a pillow or something? Anyways, that's all I have to say about this week's episode. Thanks, guys. I really liked that voice message. Thanks so much. Yeah, uh, you really had some fun points. <laughs> yeah, I definitely thought about the blindfold blindfolding, and I'm like, no one can wad up some cloth, put it in her ears. <laughs> yeah, the bag, pillow. the bag yeah. thing especially is like very smart. Yeah, uh, yep. There, there are some uh, things you just have to kind of accept, I guess, for TV's sake. Um, I thought it was a good point. We hadn't really talked about. We we talked earlier about how how did Hannah beat beat uh, Octavia, and you're right that with the whole no pain thing that that helps quite a bit. Yeah. Um. Anything else we wanted to say here about Allie and... Um, definitely the senses of, like, she's so... All-seeing. She, All-seeing, all-hearing. Yeah. That it's, like... We we know that, obviously, that was a big part of this this episode of 311 mm. of, like, don't let her see you, don't let her do anything, but, like, she's figuring... I'm assuming she's figuring stuff out still. She's... Yeah. I don't know. It, it makes me wonder if maybe there's gonna be a way of them, like reverse like one of the ways they break alley is to return everybody's pain and for mm. some reason it affects her well that's like interesting because that. the, the voice message made me think of something that i never thought of before which is alley literally doesn't know what pain is yeah like she can visually see the symptoms or the signs of people being upset right but she doesn't know what pain is Huh. And and yeah. and she doesn't know what love is. Mm-hmm. So that's the thing that's interesting. We had talked a few se- weeks ago about how, you know, is she layered or is she just a program, just an evil AI stereotype or whatever. The problem is she's never going to be a like a fully fleshed out three-dimensional character because she's not going to be a person because she doesn't know what love or pain is. Right. <laughs> so she has plans and they're all in service of what she was programmed to do. 
And so I think it's interesting that it seems like Alley 2 might be that that thing, the more three-dimensional character, in a way. We just don't really understand what Alley 2 is. Alley 2 yeah. doesn't seem to be a person. I'm I'm unclear on that. Like, is there an AI? Is it an AI, or is it a storage device of other people's brain? Like, I, I don't really feel like I Maybe know. Maybe that's how Lexa will be back. Like, yeah. Well, I think that is... I, I mean, I, I do think Lexa's in there. Yeah, no, no, I'm not saying yeah. she's not in there. I, I'm saying, like... Will there be at any point a projection of Lexa mm. the way there is a projection of Allie? You mean, like, will Allie 2 take Lexa's form the way Allie 1 took Becca's form? Yes. But, yeah. like, I'm assuming, not assuming, but let's say they succeed and give Luna the AI and, and like, the former commanders that she is advised by, she's mm. a good enough person that she's advised by Lexa or whatever. The more of herself is Lexa. So, like, Lexa speaks through Luna yeah. to Clark. I don't know. This is completely pulling mm. a theory out of my ass. Like, I don't know. But- I, I'm of the opinion that, be, the, that given that they literally called it Alley 2, that this isn't just the collection of the commander's brains. But this is shorthand. Nobody called it Alley 2 but the people who know of Alley 1. No, no, no. Becca called it Alley 2 in the flashbacks when she created it. Oh, yeah. so, right. So I, there has to be an AI component, I feel like, for that mm-hmm. to make any sense. Well, there's definitely an AI component. The question is, like, how does it manifest? Yeah, but I'm just saying there is, it's not, I don't think it's just the knowledge of all the past commanders and their memories. I think there is someone controlling that the way... Like, there is an oh, AI. Oh, okay. You know, it's hard to explain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There is... Yeah, I think I'm kind of misunderstanding <laughs> yeah. what you mean by AI with, like, yeah. how I mean AI as in this far context. As, but... like, like, okay, so, like, I think that the body of data that encompasses all the commanders, right? Uh-huh. I, that, that I see as the City of Light. But I, but Allie, even though he's connected with the City of Light, it, Allie herself is separated from the City of Light, right? Like, yes. So I feel like similarly there is an alley two that is connected to the pool of all the commanders' memories, but she is still her own thing, and I we see, just don't know what, what she saying. is yet. I see what you're saying. Yeah. I see it. I don't know. Well, we never saw Alexa being like. I was. Did we see Alexa ever being like? I was talking to the former commanders. She got dreams and things like that. Okay, so yeah. like her version of going to the City of Light was just like during sleep. I assume so. Not like meditation, like Jaha or like maybe maybe she did. Maybe. We don't know. We never we saw know. that. Yeah, but like her going to a place where there are the former commanders. Yeah, I hope I explained this okay. I for think people. I, I think I'm getting what you're yeah. saying, and I'm kind of slow. Cause <laughs> late and this is like hour three of our podcasting so all right i think we're good yeah thank you so much for that voice message i hope you feel free to send more we even though you're ice nation we'll still accept your messages (laughs) canadian ice nation is fine (laughs) i like canadians all right i think our i think our very long fight is coming to a close and uh anything else you want to say may we meet again may we meet again